Hi, this is Kathleen Mercury with another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. Now, I'm super excited to have my good friend Cameron Hayes on today. Cameron is a doctor. He got his doctorate in gifted education. And for those of you who keep score at home, I also teach gifted kids. And what's cool is we met at Gen Con. He came to one of my sessions on using RPGs in the classroom. And I can honestly say without hyperbole or any kind of false praise, his kids are running with it farther and longer than my kids ever have. I am so impressed with what he's been able to get these kids to do using role-playing games in the classroom. And I think there's a lot of things that they're doing that even old crusty know-it-all adults who've played a million RPGs uh, could be inspired and learn some things from what Cameron is doing. So with that, Cameron, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited too. And the thing is, is what's fun is Cameron and I are also going to be presenting together at Gen Con on trade day, which is the Wednesday before Gen Con starts. And it's literally the day that makes me look forward to Gen Con because I get to connect with so many educators and like Cameron. But anyway, so Cameron, talk a little bit about yourself. Give uh, everybody an idea of your background and what you do. Sure. Uh, so I, uh, I started off as a, uh, a high school history teacher. And uh, I did that for a while and, um, and went back to school uh, for my PhD and have been doing my education pretty much backwards ever since then. Um, my, my PhD in curriculum instruction was, uh, was based around the idea of using curiosity as an assessment tool uh, to try to identify gifted students and specifically students who might be underrepresented. Um, since then, I went back to school for an EDS, which is like somewhere between a master's degree and a PhD, uh, which I'm I'm doing because of financial aid reasons, be- not because I actually need the degree. And uh, I'm laughing because I'm, teachers understand these things. Go on. Yeah, yeah. So I'm getting I'm getting my uh, a variety of licenses, and it just made sense. Uh, after that, I'm going to uh, go back again for a second master's in special education and culturally, linguistically diverse learners. Um, and then Are maybe someday I'll graduate high money, school. Cameron? No, this is all just racking up student debt. Okay, cool. Uh, hoping that someday I can uh, get it uh, absolved on some level. Okay. Um, yeah, no, it's that's, that's why I'm not just buying, uh, paying for a license or uh, a certification. Uh, I can't really afford those things. But I can afford to uh, put off uh, everything by making it actually a degree. Nice. Okay, I get it. That's hilarious. So that's yeah, that's uh, like so telling. <laughs> I mean, we could just go ahead and like we could talk about this for years. So I'll just keep my mouth shut. And yeah. And so so the uh, my in my for my day job, uh, the one that um, you know keeps me going is uh, I'm the director of gifted education at uh, a school in Denver that is a. Uh, bilingual immersion school for Spanish and Chinese and it's a it's a K-8 school That's cool. and uh, yeah I am like the only person uh, who does GT stuff uh, at the school so it's like that's totally my it's my baby. So let me jump um, in here real quick, especially for people not um, so where in some places in the country, they call it gifted, like we call it gifted. Some places call it gifted and talented. There's certainly discussion about why you would use both terms, gifted and talented, the differences between the two. I think functionally, at the end of the day, I don't know that it matters a ton. Um, it pro- does to people who argue about it, I'm sure. But that's the difference in terms of the terms we're using. We're functionally talking about the same thing. Continue, please. Yeah, uh, and uh, hilariously, my students hate that term. 
um, they feel like it's kind of elitist and would much rather be, you know, but they have yet to come up with a, a better alternative, right. but they're trying. Yeah. Our gifted program at my school is called Apogee, which if you know anything about rockets, it's the highest point in a, of a trajectory. If you know anything about orbits, it's the furthest point out of an orbit, but it's really an obscure term. And um, fun fact, they do use it in the movie War Games. So yay. <laughs> That's awesome. But, um, and we have that same sort of discussion. Is this something that should be accessible or do we like it because it's kind of quirky and, you know, distant from what most people know? It's a thing. I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. The, uh, and, and the funny thing about all of this is not only does the terminology change from place to place, but the tools they use for identification change. Uh, the definitions change from state to state. Uh, I mean, this, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. There's not really a, 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 a standard federal definition. Yeah. So, and, and so that's the thing too, because especially when, you know, I tell people like what you do for gifted kids in your job is so different than what I do with gifted kids in my job. And it's because of, you know, basically how our state, you know, says what gifted programs should do and all that. So it can be very, very different. Some places it's more like acceleration, some places, I guess maybe who knows more kumbaya, everything in mm-hmm. between. Um, that's really cool. And I definitely want to get into later, especially when we talk about using curiosity as an indicator for giftedness, because that's a huge big deal right now, as it should be in terms of identifying uh, kids from underrepresented populations. The, the, the immersion school thing is super cool too, but continue. Yeah, so I mean that's I don't, know, I don't know if I have anything else. I'm not really that interesting beyond that. Um, well, I didn't want people I, to like, I, know that. <laughs> yeah, <kidding>. so the <laughs> the uh, you know I work with I, I think I have about 122 kids uh, in my my roster. That's um, K through eighth grade, and uh, it skews towards the older kids. Um, I by the time they get to sixth grade, I'm looking at about one in four of my students at the school. Uh, have been identified or in the process of being identified. So I, I have a lot of middle school kids and maybe not a lot of kindergartners. Yeah. And that's right? in but, a lot of ways good too, because I mean, we still use IQ scores and IQ, IQ scores tend to be pretty wobbly. Like the score isn't more or less fixed. Can, not that it can really ever be fixed because it's a test score and they're constantly changing the tests and you're, you know, you're, the way they assess it in terms of norms and all that is different, but IQ scores tend to be really wobbly. So mm-hmm. if you identify kids early, that can be really great. But especially if, um, you know, the way they tested really well, or maybe they just sort of level out, it can create interesting issues later as they get older and they're still in gifted programming, but they might not actually need that intervention anymore. Again, that's a whole another episode for on education. Right. So let's jump to why you're here for on board games. Cause I love this so much. I love everything you're doing and what your kids are doing. Blow mine out of the water. So talk about what you're doing with role, role play games in your classroom. Okay. So I, I started uh, at my base by uh, ripping you off and uh, basically trying to steal your curriculum entirely. I want to mention um, that it, I shared everything with Cameron fully and willingly as I do all of my resources at KathleenMercury.com. Or if there's something on there about my RPGs, I don't know if it's all in there. If you're interested, just email me and I sa- I share people, I share everything with people. So continue. This is, this is totally true. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, I started with that and, um, I, this was going to be a, a floating elective. Uh, we call them, uh, meta enrichment classes that they don't meet at the same time every week. They meet at like a revolving schedule um, so that they're not pulling from the same middle school classes Mm -hmm. 
uh, every single week. But that also means that like finding them is kind of a challenge. Uh, we don't always meet in the same place because I don't have a, I don't actually have a GT room. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, every, every morning I know that first thing in the morning tomorrow, I'm going to have a ton of kids coming up and being like, when's GT? When's GT? So it's, uh, that's, that's where I'm, I'm at is, uh, this bizarre, uh, sort of class that's an elective that's, you know, around, I have, I have, I started with three of them. I did, uh, one that was, uh, just, um, going deeper into whatever kids were interested in. And, and we, we did, uh, an entire semester about, uh, writing electronic music. Mm, that's and cool. I did, I have an intro to psychology class, which is a really popular one. And then I did, uh, this role playing class as kind of a, you know, an experiment to see how things would go. And, um, it was hugely popular. Like, more and more people showed up every time. And a lot of these kids had never done role-playing games, which is interesting because at, at my school, I mean, I think D&D is, has definitely had a renaissance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is massive. Uh, strangely, it's, it's the way it's different from my day is that it's, um, it's predominantly girls that are playing. That's awesome. Uh, That's awesome. The boys, not so much, uh, although there are a few. Um, but anyway, I had this huge class of 20 kids um, who showed up and wanted to learn about role-playing games and they wanted to, you know, see what it was all about. So I, I called in a couple of expert uh, game masters to run stuff and a lot of these kids were just hooked from the get-go. Like, if they'd never played before, that was that was it. That was the one hit that, uh, that was the gateway drug. Um, so from that point onwards, uh, the class was solid and I knew I, I had them... Um, of, like I was going to be able to get them to do a lot of cool stuff. That's awesome. The problem is 20 kids was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't sure how much I was, was going to be playing and how much was going to be running and how much was going to be uh, writing. So I ended up splitting the class into two halves. Um, and just to make it arbitrary, I divided it uh, by gender. And the thought was actually that the way it divvied up, it was exactly 10 and 10. Mm. And uh, the girls in general were more interested in creating and less about consuming. And the boys were more interested in a different play style, which was, that's fine. Um, but I was able to uh, work on two different things. Uh, with the boys, uh, I was able to sort of address some toxic masculinity stuff uh, through play. We did we play a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't write as much. Uh, they've tried to write games and it's just not coming together. It's not gelling. Um, the girls class, on the other hand, has uh, really taken off. They decided they wanted to publish a book um, that was going to be a bunch of settings that they designed, um, but they didn't want to use someone else's system. They wanted to use their own system. And I watched as they crafted frankly, a really cool game system. I mean, it's a rules light, you know, um, story-based game, but it has some things that I, I didn't anticipate uh, that I just think are really clever. What were you, what was your thought process, though, as you see this sort of happening, going from working with an... Ex- see, because that's the thing. It's like for what I do with my kids, you know, I teach them about different systems. We start with interactive fiction, we go to sort of like a rule, you know, rules like, you know, we just kind of go through this whole progression and we work our way up to um, systems like Dungeons and Dragons. We do some other ones too, Fate Accelerated. Um, we do these other systems. And so your kid, and that's kind of where mine stopped. 
um, they their final project was writing adventures for all these different systems that we were doing. And it was interesting, you know, some kids really get into it. Other kids were kind of mystified by it and didn't really want to or take that. They liked the idea of it, but to really, like, get involved, your kids mm-hmm. just have jumped past that from the, the, the dream, which is going from consumer to creator. Yeah. We, uh, they... We, we tried a couple of, of systems. We, we did the initial curriculum where we did some of the interactive storytelling um, stuff first. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then they'd had their, their got, they'd gotten their feet wet with games that had been run um, uh, by my, my expert uh, GMs who I brought in. Um, and, and I think that's that- really smart. Because if for anybody who's ever run a game, you know, there's so many different pieces that go into it and doing it for the first time is really hard. And you want to, especially for your students, provide a really good model for this because you can describe it, but they really don't understand what it is until they actually see it. And so mm-hmm. even if it's having them watch a, you know, an episode of like Critical Role or something that's really appropriate, um, but having them actually watch a game is so incredibly helpful before they try to do it because otherwise they have no idea. I mean, like how people did it back in the day when, you know, TSR is just putting out these books and everything, but maybe just <laughs> kids today are a little bit more used to a multi-sensory approach to learning, having video access. Mm-hmm. So use those tools, but also when you bring in somebody else to teach, you know, to run the game, it lets you, cause I've been the one to run the games and you can't be the teacher and the GM at the same time, unless, correct me if you think I'm wrong, having somebody else do that lets you kind of be that overall sort of person to like stitch all these little pieces together. You can observe all these different sort of invisible wheels happening as they're going at the same time. Agree or disagree? I agree. And I think that what was really cool was depending on which game the kids ended up with, I mean, there were, there were, I had four GMs, two of them were running Dungeons and Dragons. One was running uh, Hollow Earth Expeditions. And one was running Protocol, which is a really uh, loose story game. Mm-hmm. And uh, the kids that went into the Protocol game um, had never, they'd never done anything without a GM, really, you know. And the idea of cooperation uh, for narrative control was a new thing. Mm-hmm. But, but they, that was also a bunch of kids that had all played Dungeons and Dragons before. And so that was like, you know, they, they'd already seen, sort of seen the default, and then to see, like, this variation, I think, really opened their eyes and got them really inspired. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kids who had never done role-playing games before uh, were largely playing the Dungeons & Dragons stuff and were just totally into it. I mean, I, I, I had some really great uh, game masters who volunteered their time to come in during a school day, mm-hmm. you know, to run. And, it like, it was supposed to last for, like, two hours, and it spilled over into lunch. And I ended up writing passes for everyone because they 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 just wouldn't <laughs> they didn't want to leave. And the best part about it is all these game masters were thanking me for the opportunity. Like, right. oh, are you, really? You're thanking me? Like, you're the one who's really doing me a huge favor by doing this. Right. That's awesome. So we we started with that. I mean, and, I mean and, I'm, just like with kids. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting, but you know. Yeah. 
one of the reasons why I love designing games with kids so much is just because of that, you know, what if kind of quality. They don't put those sort of limiting factors in there. So if they feel comfortable, you know, it's like, you know, okay, you're standing there, there's a well, what are you going to do? You know, they may not just look like, mm-hmm. okay, what's on my character sheet? Like, what is my equipment? You know, I mean, they can really easily immerse themselves into it. They're like, I'm going to bring a, build a magic bridge and I'm going to sail over the well and I'm going to do this. And you're like, yeah, you know, it's so <laughs> fun. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, uh, it's been awesome. And, and, uh, I had started off with sort of a history of games. I've got a, you know, a bunch of PowerPoints and we talked about licensed games and so like, but it was all kind of academic, uh, playing it changed everything. And then they started asking to play other games. Um, and they saw that I had a copy the, the girls saw that I had a copy of, uh, the new fantasy flight, Le- uh, legend of the five rings, mm-hmm. which is a great game, but it's also really crunchy. Um, it has dice that like don't just determine success or failure, but determine how much uh, like stress an action takes. And uh, you know, if you if you accumulate too much stress, you drop your stoic demeanor as a samurai. And it was really complicated. And they played it and they enjoyed it, but all it really did ultimately was make them want to make their own. And so one day I was ready to run a game, and they were like, "Actually, we just is it okay if we just." right today and uh i was like yeah sure let's let's do that and uh within a week they had um banged out a pretty solid game system all right so while at the while at the same time they were uh coming up with ideas for settings that's so cool all right so tell us about the system okay so the system uh so first of all i should i should preface this by saying that they they off they have a publishing company now uh <gasps> Yeah, the name of the group is Access Granted Games, and uh, they are approaching their game design from a uh, social justice angle. Uh, they wanted, they found out that that uh, not everyone is welcome at the table, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, at gaming, and so they wanted to make sure that their game was inclusive to uh, women, to LGBT, and uh, to people of color. Uh, all of whom are represented in the game group as well. So uh, this is now, it's like 12 kids, and this is, you know, they, they've, they've gone beyond the idea of just writing something. They want to publish it as under this, this game company name. Uh, their name of their uh, system is the New School Engine. Uh, because they, yeah, they came up with it at school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that made sense. And it is a, it's a pretty... Uh, it's a pretty interesting system that uses uh, uses d sixes and cards, and the ra- the rationale there was that everyone has a, a deck of cards lying around, right? And everyone has sixes six sided dice that you could steal from a board game, right? So it didn't require any special equipment to start up. It didn't require polyhedral dice or or anything like that. It was you know it was supposed to be low point of entry. Cool. Yeah, this is so uh, nice. Yeah. So uh, they they came up with this system that there are really only three stats. Uh, the stats are uh, people skills, and activity, and wits. So <clears throat> physical, social, and mental. That's really it. Mm-hmm. And everyone has uh, one thing that they're really good at, one thing that they're okay at, and one thing that they're terrible at. Mm-hmm. And so every character has a built-in one thing that they just are just awful. <clears throat> Um, and then to counterbalance that, uh, they have they came up with these I can and I can't statements. So your character has uh, a, a number of I can statements, which are things that they can always do. Like, 
I can walk on a tightrope. I can pick a lock. And the idea is that there's no skill role necessary when those things come up. You just do them, right? They're, they're just always, they always happen. Mm -hmm. But as you accumulate damage, and you, one of the things I like about this system is that it has uh, the same system for physical conflict, mental conflict, uh, and social uh, combat. Uh, and so you accumulate I can't statements, you know, I, I can't stop the bleeding. Uh, I can't uh, stop crying. Uh, you know, it, it could be a bunch of different things. And so you, uh, as you take damage, instead of it being like a, a hit point kind of thing that, that counts down, you begin to accumulate these I can't statements that just get in the way. Huh. So then the, the, well, that's the interesting other too, because it doesn't become failure means stop. It means I'm introducing something new and interesting into the narrative to push my character forward and to push the story forward, not backwards. Right. And one of the first things they came up with was that everyone starts off the game with an I can't statement that will never go away. And the one of the examples we used was I can't walk unassisted, uh, which I thought was really cool that the, the go to was to create a character, uh, a sample character who was uh, disabled mm -hmm. and that that was just sort of, you know, sort of that was just like normal, natural, right? That it's just like real life. Some people can't walk. Some people can't uh, make friends. Some people, you know, there, there's all sorts of things that, that are limitations, but they don't hold you back. They just sort of define you a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought that was really a neat thing uh, that was part of their um, angle about, you know, everyone starts off with a flaw, but whether your flaw is, uh, is something really, you know, mind-bendingly difficult or to, to deal with, or whether it's just a, a disability that, that you've spent your life you know, you're in a wheelchair. Okay, that, that's cool. Uh, it doesn't really matter. The uh, That's just who you are, and everyone has that, and it never goes away. It's not a, a deficit. It's just a character-defining moment. That's cool. So what are some of, like, the... Like, how long... Are these one-shot games? I'm a little unclear. Uh, each one of the things is, is a setting, a mm -hmm. uh, totally different setting. And um, they've for a while, they were walk, they were talking about having them be connected somehow. But I think that that's been largely abandoned. Um, at this point, it's like they're just either one-shot uh, stories or uh, settings that you could explore uh, for a while. Um, there's there's one setting that's set in like a, a a creepy abandoned test facility, so it's kind of a horror game. Mm -hmm. And there's one that's uh, like a, a fantasy setting where it's a it's an, a utopia that uh, is is threatened. And uh, the one that, that intrigues me the most was um, <laughs> there's two girls who are working on a setting that is literally just middle school. Yeah. And all the special abilities are things like you can get away with not studying and you still get a good grade on a test and uh, things like that. So you, <laughs> I was like, who knows middle school better than a bunch of middle school girls? Right. Right. I thought that was, for, I thought it was a great idea. So how much autonomy do they have in this process? Like how much of this is directed by them? How much of this is directed by you? And how much do you, how much have you had to step in to say, I don't know about this or this maybe needs to be changed or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I try to go with like a Socratic thing. Mm -hmm. So my, my job is to ask clarifying questions. So I'll say things like, all right, now walk me through this. What happens if, if my character, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, and that way they, uh, 
if they don't know the answer, they come up with an, a solution on the spot, and then that becomes the new default. That's like the that's the, that becomes canon on the spot. Um, not all the kids are that interested in the um, the system stuff. Mm-hmm. I would say there's there's three that are really heavy on the on the system design, and then um, a bunch that are m- more interested in just doing the settings and and doing you know narrative stuff. I had one girl who was like, I don't know how our system works. Uh, I'll be honest, I, I don't really know, but that's okay. Uh, I I still think that I've got a good idea. I said that that's also that's how I feel as well. Um, <laughs> and then and then they've, they've, the one of the coolest things is they went out and they started finding illustrators among other students. <laughs> they went and they asked the art teacher, who are the who are the illustrators? Who are the artists that we should really keep an eye on? You know, on the on the down low. And uh, they found a list of six. Also, middle school girls, some of whom uh, were GT and some of whom weren't, and they basically went out and said, "We would like you to illustrate our game. We would like you to come to our meetings if you want to. We would like to introduce you to our world and 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 tell you all about what's going on." And so they basically started a recruitment drive, and now my GT girls class is has gone from ten to uh, like fifteen, um, like overnight. And uh, I just think that it's it's one of the things I worry about with GT is uh, with giftedness is that uh, you know there's this concern that it's kind of elitist, and I love the egalitarian nature of finding collaborators that you want to work with. So, where what are the next steps for this? What do they still need to do? What do they still want to do? So the day one, they put together a. Google Classroom to keep track of all of their various writing projects. They have a spreadsheet with uh, writing assignments that they've given to each other and to themselves. And I help them with a um, an outline uh, so that each each of the chapters would have like the same format. Uh, so they're just filling it in. Um, the The setting is is pretty well written at this point. I mean, I, I think that there's a few spots that are a little unclear. Um, but uh, they've got a character creation system, and they've got their um, the system explained, and now they're just filling in each of these remaining chapters that have these settings. Um, when they're done, uh, I'm going to have to help them with layout, which is something that I don't know how to do either. But I I have no doubt that you know I can I can say to these kids. Yeah, so we're going to learn how to do layout, and it's going to be a little trial and error-y, and uh, I hope you're okay with that, mm-hmm. and I, they're going to be fine. I mean, one of the things that they built into the system was the idea that failure should be fun, and failure should be um, encouraged. So uh, they they have kind of a fate point system, mm-hmm. uh, which is where the cards come in, um, and the cards, uh, you can use them to lower the target number for a roll down to the numeric value of the cards, um, but then the card is used up. So if you really want to succeed at something, you use your lowest card and you succeed by a huge margin, right? Um, But you only get cards back whenever you fail at something or sacrifice something meaningful. This is so incredibly impressive. I I am um, so proud of these girls for what they're doing. And and, and they, they keep coming to me with things like, uh, would you would you help us figure out how we can you know sell this? Uh, would you how much you know? How, we don't know any of that sort of thing. But do you think that do you think anyone will want to buy this? I'm like, yeah, 
I mean, I yeah. would want to buy this. You know, right? I, I know lots of people who, whenever I sort of brag about my my students uh, on social media, they people are like, "Yeah, that just let me know when this is done." Right? Because it's going to be a work of uh, passion by these. You know, they're all sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, and um, they are just so in, immersed in this now. Um, this is what they spend their time doing. Uh, on their on their you know in their off time when they're not being great students, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I I just I'm so incredibly impressed by what you've done, and it, uh, it's not me. I know, it's I know, not I knew me. you were going to say that. But <laughs> so here's the thing. So I mean, and not to like kind of clunkily turn this around, but this is a question. Um, when you for your PhD, you studied curiosity. And right. in terms of looking at curiosity as an indicator for whether or not a kid is gifted. And part of the reason for that is IQ tests um, have historically had a good amount of, or some amount of cultural bias. And yep. and in trying to figure out who should really, who needs gifted services, using curiosity is a way, and you can go into this more detail, but this is just from what you've explained to me, so feel free to clarify, um, mm -hmm. as a way to identify kids for gifted programmings or just for additional support or whatever. But So you can talk about that, but also from your work in studying curiosity, you know, how does... Like what from like how much from what you learned and in your studies do you think you've injected into this or how much do you think the kids are really showing organically everything that you've done because I think the answer is in there somewhere you know but somewhere between mm -hmm. from from you and also from themselves or the combination right I I, I think a, a big part for me is um, I, I recognized early on how how well they respond to my enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. And so when I say, this is, this is just great. I, I love what you're doing. Even if it's a, a design decision that I'm not totally in love with, it's their work. And, um, I really respect that, that they have these strong opinions about it. So, uh, I, I think that, uh, what's kept them going is, is not just that I'm interested, but that, you know, we found some other game designers who have heard about this project now who want to teleconference in and talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and every time there's an opportunity like that, they get more jazzed about it. Um, they, they're like, this is the kind of thing that they probably would have been doing by themselves. But because there's an outside force that is interested like everything changes. Yeah, but I, do, I don't I don't totally disagree. I mean, maybe. I mean, obviously, you know, there are plenty of people who, you know, came up with some sort of project and all that. But, I mean, come on. You've got 20 kids working together with this. I mean, having the ability to support these kids with the time and the resources and the technology and your connections and the ideas that you've exposed them to, you know... I mean, I think that's the best of what we can be doing in the classroom for these kids is, you know, equipping them right. with the resources they need so that <coughs> they can go on and, you know, create things independently. Like this is the goal is for them to become independent problem solvers who create content who aren't just consumers. Right. I guess it's just really lucky that I had some contacts and I knew some people – <clears throat> and I 
you know, I mean, like if, if this was, if they came to me and they said, I, we really want to do a project about, you know, designing a, a, a robot, you know, and I, I know robotics is a huge part of a lot of gifted and talented programs. Man, I don't know anything about robotics. I, you know, I, I can point them towards someone who does, but uh, it just happens to be that their interests and my interests aligned on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's really, that's, part of that's just luck. You know, that, I mean, my, my psychology class works really well, too. Um, I happen to know a lot about psychology. But if I were, you know, if, if I know that a lot of these kids have uh, interest in, in higher mathematics, and that's not my jam. And, and so I, um, I can't support them in every way that I would like to. Mm-hmm. But in this one way, you know, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that's the best of what, I mean, and that's the reasons why I love my job is because so much of the things that I love, become what we do in the classroom. You know, Mm -hmm. I love, I love board games. I started having them play games one day. I was like, huh, I should have them make games. And there we go. You know, um, my kids were really interested in RPGs, you know, seventh grade would do board games, but eighth grade, I'd, you know, kids were telling me about them playing Dungeons and Dragons and them being interested. And my thing is cool. You love this. Now you're going to make it too. You're going to create a system, you know, you're going to create a world, whatever. And so a lot of what I've done, though, is focused on them as individuals. And by you letting them work together, which is, you know, so incredibly difficult. You know, everybody's been in, you know, group projects that haven't been functional teachers. You know, we've got Mm -hmm. groups in our classes that are not functional. And what do you do when you're halfway through a project and, um, I mean, this is the first year of my board game class that I'm letting kids work with a partner if they want. And I've got in some classes, very few partnerships. And then other classes, I've got almost all kids chose to work with partners. And really, they did a good job of determining for themselves if they wanted to work with somebody else or if it was best for them to work alone. But you've got 20 kids working together. Is there, when it comes to assessment, do you grade them on their work? Does that factor into this as far as what each kid is doing, their their roles, their responsibilities? Are they holding up to that? It's funny you mention that. Um, so because I am doing a pull-out elective, um, there is no grade. I don't give grades um, because I'm not doing an academic course. Mm-hmm. Um, this is all voluntary. Same with the psychology class and the, the, the electronic music stuff. It's, um, you know, it's an opportunity but these are chances for kids to to do things that that maybe they wouldn't get a chance to any other time. But there's no assessment really. Um, so there have been a there were a couple kids who they were like kind of interested, but they you know they were like you know I honestly I'd rather I'd rather learn about serial killers in psychology class. So they moved on to something else that was you know that spoke to them more. And uh, so these are these are kids that are working entirely based on intrinsic motivation. Um, but the one thing I will say that has really helped, and and they warned me. They said, you know, we don't we don't like group projects. Tell tell the other teachers to stop assigning those right. for for us. But they work really well as a group because they've literally been together since kindergarten. Mm-hmm. You know, they they have been uh, the way our school works is you start in kindergarten or first grade. And it's all language immersion, right? There's, it's 100% taught in the target language. Uh, and so we can't have kids transfer in, really. So we don't have new kids coming in in middle school. We just have the same kids that have been around forever. So they've, they've worked together before. 
And so uh, they are just like a well-oiled machine as far as, you know, there's there's the project management girl and she uh, has worked up a, a thing where she's she's got job duties and she's assigning it and, and there's the, the person who is really good at clarifying questions and there's the person who uh, has the big ideas that need to be pinned down a little bit and there's the person who does that and um, it just it, – it, I think I just lucked out uh, to some degree that these kids work together so well. Um, I can't say that my boys' class works that well together um, because they're going through an adolescent male thing where they're viewing each other as like threats and uh, you know potential enemies and potential humiliators, and so mm-hmm. they they can't really open up the way these girls can yet. Um, it was hard to get them to do anything collaborative because their first go-to was we should fight amongst ourselves. And I mean in games, I mean in social interactions, I mean everything. And I want to say, you know, because when you – I'm the the, G, the Gay Straight Alliance sponsor and a lot of our group's discussion this year has been based around um, genders and separating kids by gender, especially when you have kids who don't um, feel they – fall under just the male or female gender specifically. Um, But one thing I'll say is, and this is anecdotal, this is not research, but from my own perspective, when I used to teach robots, and I don't anymore, but when I used to teach robots, um, it worked best if I had the boys work with boys and the girls work with girls. It just did. Um, A lot of times girls don't have as much Lego building experience as boys. So when we were working with mm-hmm. the Lego robots, the boys would sort of take it over and the girls would step back and defer to them. Um, and whether that's, you know, because they're boys or because they're more experienced with Legos, you know, it happened. Um, there are other interesting things that happened too. Uh, the girls would decorate the robots. They would put little paper faces on them and give them clothes mm-hmm. and hair and little outfits uh, that, boys did not do that um the other thing though that was probably most interesting and again this is anecdotal and i don't know that i would do it again this way but you know it this happened generally speaking in class when we would have different kind of challenges for them to do the girls would do better on them because they were better communicators working together to figure out why the robot wasn't doing what they were doing and keep in mind you know i don't care i mean I Mm -hmm. i i care about kids learning so whatever way I can make them as functional as possible, whether they work on their own or in groups or how we split them up, all I care about is what's going to be best for kids. And so, you know, there's that. But so when it came to um, like the in-class challenges, the girls did better. But then, and this might kind of speak with what you're talking about with your boys, whenever we had like a competition, uh, the teams yeah. were pitted against each other. The boys would put all of their disputes aside and it's like men were going to war and we're going together, you know, like the <laughs> boys would just put all of that aside and just be so focused on the competition that they tended to perform better than the girls because they really thrived on that competition. The girls had just as much fun with or without it, but the boys really came alive when it came to that. So um, I think that's interesting with what you're talking about, you know, with with the differences between your two uh, the two groups, and again, we're we're speaking in broad brushstrokes. 
you're talking about one specific group of 20, 30 kids. I'm talking about, you know, a few classes that I taught 10 years ago, broken down mm -hmm. like this. In no way, shape, or form are either and I suggesting that there are these significant, profound, entrenched differences between males versus females. We're not. Neither one of us are saying that. We have students, both of us, who you know, are gender non-conforming, gender non-binary, and we are as supportive of those students as we possibly can be. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. One of the things that my uh, my students thought was really essential uh, when they were making their uh, their game was that um, when you when you design your character, you uh, select your pronouns. Mm -hmm. And I've never seen a game where uh, that was put right there. And the, I mean, this is not a, a complicated character creation system, but they thought that that was a necessary step. And I, I thought that was really telling. I mean, a lot of these, there's a lot of crossover of my students between my class and the Gay Straight Alliance. Um, and I love that they're melding those worlds uh, and really trying to make it as friendly as possible. Right. And I think for a lot of times when, you know, older adults who are used to only having a sort of binary world, and there's sort of this balking at, well, wait, why is this different? Why am I being called to, you know, act differently? Why can't I, you know, hug the nice lady? You know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, this is normal for them. This is their world. You know, kids are so much more connected. And there's a lot of, you know, downsides of that. But because they're also so connected with others, it does give them a lot of exposure to things that are very normal, become very normal to them. Um, and that includes gender. I mean, for my Gay Straight Alliance, I have, you know, a good 20, 30 kids who come, you know, when they can on what on a rotating or whatever their schedule allows basis. I mean, think about it. And most of them are sixth and seventh grade. I'm an old crusty witch at 43. Imagine when I was in middle school, would we have been able to have that? <laughs> mm -hmm. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, the world is not. very different. And it's really amazing because it comes from a place, ultimately, of a lot of compassion. Mm -hmm. Just so we can we can uh, throw some more anecdotes on the fire here. Uh, <laughs> one of my uh, one of my early experiences with these two groups after I split them up was we we were playing some games and I wanted to just sort of do a shakedown uh, encounter with some combat. And um, the, the boys were so bloodthirsty, they wanted to kill everyone, kill the horses, kill the uh, innkeeper, kill each other. Uh, they wanted to leave no one left alive until it was king of the hill. And uh, then I, you know, I, we sort of reached a compromise on that. Uh, but that was their instinct was that, that this is a game that could be won and uh, it's going to be won by me and it's going to be won through force. Mm -hmm. When I did a shakedown uh, combat encounter with the girls group, uh, it didn't end up actually having any combat because the bandits that they encountered on the, on the uh, side of the road, um, they wanted to know their motivation and why they had turned to a life of crime. <laughs> and it's maybe there's some way that they could help the economics of the, of the region oh uh, to, yeah, I this mean, like and the it was community episode with Britta. Yeah, exactly. Kyle, the gnome I, waiter, which if you've never seen the TV show Community, ugh. But the D and D episode is not appropriate <laughs> for kids, but it's hilarious. It is really, really great, and it was just, it was almost, it was almost comical uh, how how they they solved the entire problem by by sorting this out. They ended up fronting the bandit leader a small business loan uh, so he could go off and and I, I'm like spitballing. Uh, like, what is the bandit's motivation? Sure, okay, he he's a farmer who, who lost his crops because of a drought, and 
he, he never really wanted to be a farmer anyway. And so they're like trying to get to the core of who he was and how to satisfy, how to make him reach his hopes and dreams. And I, I thought that was an interesting, it was telling because in that particular group, and again, I don't think it's necessarily gendered, but in that group, uh, consensus was really important and, um, they needed to like solve it. It was a problem that needed to be solved. Uh, whereas the, the, the boys viewed most everything as a challenge. And uh, my boys have changed a lot. They've been, they've been gaming a lot more. They haven't been doing as much writing, but they, uh, they have been playing a lot. And, uh, so, uh, they, they recently switched up to a new game. Uh, and I, I realized this would be a fun one. They, they, uh, they're, they're going to play Caius Ward's, uh, dwarves, which is a, a, game that's um it's it's like uh taking the old dungeon crawl dungeons and dragons modules Mm -hmm. and putting a twist on them in that the dwarves are uh actually super soldiers who have been in cryogenic sleep (laughs) and uh they're they're like the the marines from aliens um but all short uh and they basically go into uh dungeons uh this they've woken up to this post-apocalyptic world that has magic and orcs and stuff but they're uh they're a military unit so they approach everything from from a military standpoint and it it really spoke to my my boys as far as this sort of band of brothers thing Mm -hmm. which i really think this would have been a hard sell for my girls yeah uh but I'm, i'm excited to run it you know yeah well i mean and do you think then in some ways having the kids do i mean there's so many interesting applications of how people have used role play games i mean they've used them in prisons to you know, teach problem solving and teamwork. Do you feel like maybe role playing games plus your boys growing and becoming older and because that trust me, that helps us so much more sometimes. <laughs> um, but do you think that the that role playing games had some sort of impact on their ability to do that? Uh, yeah, I definitely I mean, role playing uh, had a long has a long and, and storied history in, in therapy and therapeutic uses long before it was ever, you know, D and D, and um, I think that uh, it was actually my friend Brendan Lasalle who uh, who who made uh, X Crawl who who said he wanted to make a mechanic that made uh, that simulated uh, an esprit de corps, uh, a sense of teamwork, and a sense of uh, wanting a uh, a group success, uh, cheering on of other people, and um, that uh, that is where I'm going with these boys. So I want them to be supportive of each other in a way that they weren't initially Mm -hmm. right i want them to to view collectively their successes as as a group success and not just uh, me and i got mine you know right that's really interesting i mean it's really incredible what these kids have done completely independent of you and any input from you whatsoever (laughs) right one of the things i think is really neat about uh the world we live in is that we're so interconnected now that um, they can reach out and find game creators and follow them on Twitter and things like that. I mean, uh, my my girls now have a, a list of um, sort of celebrities that they they're they're celebrities who are game designers, mostly uh, women and people of color, who they have decided are doing really phenomenal work and that they want to be a part of, and they they, they care what these people think and, mm-hmm. and what they make and. Um, you know, I, if you had 
when I was growing up and I started getting into role-playing games, there you could write a letter to the editor of Dragon Magazine, and that was about as close as you could get to ever really interacting with any of the creators mm-hmm. of these of these games. And now the wall has gotten really thin. I mean, I'm I'm doing a a, a teleconference next week with uh, with my game kids uh, to talk to a uh, a game designer so that they can get direct feedback. And even my boys are doing this. Um, they they selected the game that I was going to play, the aforementioned uh, dwarves game. Uh, and you know later after, like I, I snapped a picture with them and uh, they sent it to the creator hmm. so that you know he could he could see that they were into his stuff you know and uh, I, I just think that's great and we didn't have that right before yeah it's really amazing and I think I mean honestly what you're doing is you know you're not having to be the expert here I mean obviously you have some connections and you have experience with this. But you're providing them with resources, you're giving them the time and support, and you're letting them figure out the answers here. And if they stop tomorrow, then they stop tomorrow. You know, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when, you know, if there's more formal structures put on it, like grades and stuff like that, that does come into play. Um, And that can positively, but also probably mostly, I don't know, negatively um, impact, you know, kind of the dynamic and the flow of what they're doing, because... You know, you'd be able to capture specific data points, basically, you know, but I think it's really amazing. And thank you so much for coming on to share this. I'm, I'm, I love that I had such a tiny role. I mean, this is sound selfish, (laughs) I guess it is, but I mean, more than it's not really about me. I love that it's so interesting how you can take one tiny little idea, and this is a better way to say it, and just shoot off in all of these different directions. Well, my students know who you are, uh, and they know who your kids are. And uh, so one of the things that they wanted to do uh, when they were finished is they wanted to make sure you had a copy well, that you could share with them, right? So I've been talking with my seventh graders now, and they were wanting to know about eighth grade and what we do, and we were talking about role-play games. And kids were immediately like, oh, my gosh, that sounds like so much fun. So my goal is um, in the fall when I have eighth graders is to give them the option to make your students' games one of the games that they work with and play. And I think it'll be really cool if we can get some good collaboration going back and forth between the two. Oh, that would be awesome. And I would love it if your kids inspired more and honestly inspired me in terms of how I can help support them to be just as excited and motivated to take on something so ambitious. I'm really excited about that. That's uh, Yeah, that's that's the dream, right? I'm the... I, I really I have my fingers crossed that this is going to um, end strong, um, but like you said, even if it even if it doesn't, um, the, it's the process, not the right. not the product. Right. right. Um, and and the, what they're what they're living for right now is uh, they want to see um, their book up on Drive Through RPG, and I told them that if they were able to get it all together and, and publish, that we would have a release party. There's a a, a little cafe uh, game themed cafe Mm -hmm. uh and i was like i'll yeah i'll 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 shell out for an event room and and we'll you know have each of the kids uh running stuff for their parents and for their their peers and things like that so that's what they're hoping for um and it's 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 all you know it's amazing what kids will do for a pizza party i'll just right exactly (laughs) and the funny thing about this i don't think my school has the faintest idea what's going on with this like i'm so proud of them but i every time i've tried to talk about it uh with you know someone in the administration they don't really fully grasp how 
cool it is, mm-hmm. um, what these kids are doing. They're like, oh, that sounds great. That it sounds like your class is going really well. I'm like, yeah, my class is going really well. It's, it, it, my mind is blown on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, they just, unless you're sort of uh, in that scene, you don't realize how cool it really is. Yes. Yes. Well, Cameron, if people want to find out more about you and the amazing work that you're doing with your kids, how can they get in contact with you? I would love an email, and my email address is Cameron.Hayes at alumni.du.edu. And it's Hayes, H-A-Y-S, not H-A-Y-E-S. So That always throws everyone for a loop. There's no E in my, in my Hayes. It's not Hayes. Just kidding. <laughs> well, Cameron, this has been so great. I mean, I love, love, love. And, and Cameron and I are going to be presenting together at Gen Con, um, talking about gifted kids and failure and games and all kinds of good stuff. So if you've never made it to trade day at Gen Con, try to make it. Um, I mean, Gen Con is gigantic and bloated and pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> I, I love it. I, I bring my kids and my, you know, my family. It's our, it's our holiday. Oh for my gosh. The year, you are so. a warrior. Ugh. Well done you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I always have fun there, but it is a lot of people that stresses somebody out and finding hotel rooms is a nightmare and all that mess. But anyway, moving on. Um, thank you again for coming on. If you're interested, if you haven't gone to trade day, um, and if you'd like to get in contact with me about what I do, um, I remember all of my game design resources and some stuff from other classes too are available for at KathleenMercury.com. Everything is for free. Um, I actually got an email last week from a teacher in China, actually. Um, and hmm. this might be fun to see what happens with this, uh, who used my resources and wants to translate them all into Chinese and Mandarin so that uh, teachers all across China can use them more easily in order to teach game design to kids. So I'm super excited about that. Too. Well, if you need a translator, I happen to know like 10 kids who speak fluent Mandarin. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking about that too. Um, so that would be cool. I know. Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh my gosh. So anyway, so thank you so much. If you have any questions, uh, please contact us as the show. You can also find me at, on Twitter as at Mercury with seven M's. And uh, until next time, keep having fun with your kids. Create amazing producers of interesting ideas. And until next time, thanks for listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. A podcast produced in association between Inverse Genius and the Georgetown County Library System. For more information about the show and the people who create it, you can head over to InverseGenius.com and also find out more about our other podcasts like Onboard Games, On RPGs, The Inverse Genius Podcast, and The Room Escape Divas. If you would like to be on the show or have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us at schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com and let us know. We do have our episodes booked out for several weeks in advance, so if you have something time-sensitive, you will want to contact us as early as possible. 